0: I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Al Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. All right, Al Pellets, welcome back. We are excited to have yet another World famous expert with us here from beautiful Ames, Iowa, Iowa State University. Where there is at least you know one good person from Iowa State here, Katie. Thanks for being here and waving the flag. We've had to hang out with this guy named Mike Ritalik all this time. Uh, we're glad to have you here with us, Katie.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I, I saw the panic look on her face. She's like, "You're going to make me make fun of my department chair. <laughs> it's fine. It is. It is fine. It is fine. Um, it's all good. So, Katie, tell us a little bit about who you are and then give us a quick introduction to today's topic.
1: Sure. So um, I'm on the faculty at ISU, um, as you pointed out, Dr. Vitalik is my department chair, um, and I'm in, the, so I'm in the Department of Ag, Education and Studies. Um, And mainly um, my expertise is in diversity, equity, and inclusion in formal and informal agriculture education settings. So that's both the K through 12 world and also in the community, um, specifically mainly with extension. Um, So I've done work um, in that space about how to be inclusive and provide access to um, all communities to those educational resources.
2: Very good. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the topic. What are we gonna What are we gonna talk about today?
1: Sure. So um, I did a project investigating extensions' service to indigenous communities in the western part of the country. So I'm originally coming from Colorado, um, and so I asked the question, you know, how does extension serve indigenous communities? We really didn't have a good idea of. Um, how, or what, or why, or any of these foundational questions about indigenous communities and extension. Um, And then also, you know, what works and what doesn't, um, what makes for good education in these communities, and what barriers do educators face um, when trying to serve them.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, um, tell us a little bit about what you found, or, you know, as we talk to ag teachers across the country, What recommendations and suggestions do you have for them um, in their classrooms and in their programs?
1: Sure. So um, I interviewed educators throughout the whole Western region of the country, and that includes Alaska, Hawaii, American Samoa, Guam, and then um, a lot of the states in the West. And I asked these folks that are doing this work well, um, you know, how did they do it? What are some best practices that they could recommend for other educators that are interested in doing this work? And then, you know what barriers they face so that um, us in positions to help them um, could try to lower some of those barriers. And so, Um, these educators had really important things to share that make them successful in their programs. Um, Specifically, you know, one of the big ones was they make sure to center the community's goals in their programming. Um, And what that means is they find that it works best when they go into a community and ask, you know, what, what do I need to know about you? Um, what goals do you have, what issues are you seeing that I can help solve, Uh, and really being a supportive ally in the education that they provide, um, as opposed to being prescriptive in their programming. Um, So yeah, my educators center the goals of their community. Um, They often have an inside collaborator, is what I called it, so someone from the community that can help them along the way. Um, And then they're also really great at providing culturally relevant programming and pedagogy. So um, figuring out what works best, what kind of pedagogy works best for the community that they're serving, and then tailoring their programming um, in that way.
0: So what what kind of advice do you have? You talk about this insider collaborator with if a, a new educator is going into a community how do they help identify and find and find this collaborator or collaborators to kind of help them um, understand that community and, and center their goals better?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a big barrier, right? I can imagine that a lot of great educators in K through 12 or in extension would say there's this meaningful community that I'm really excited to be involved with. But How do I get in, you know, um, how can I get involved and figure out what their goals are if I um, am an outsider to that community. So um, a lot of the educators gave examples for what that insider might be. Um, It might be the K through 12 education director. In this case, I was talking to tribes. And so it might be the K through 12 educator um, at the reservation. It might be someone that serves on tribal council. Um, It might be another educator that's been working in that community for a long time. Um, And that's great because then they can bounce ideas off of of the new educator about what works and what doesn't. Um, So finding an educator that's been there for a long time is great. So it's gonna look different in every community, but that did a few things to help teachers. Um, It again, provided someone to give feedback about the programming. Um, it gave them an insider view of what could work and what, what wouldn't. There was a great example of an educator in Colorado that wanted to do um, a uh, dissection activity with the Native student she was serving on the reservation. And the K-12 through 12 director of the tribal school said absolutely not. That would not be appropriate within the cultural setting here. Um, and my educator I was speaking to took that very humbly and said, great, thank you for telling me, I will never suggest it again, right? So um, having somebody to tell, to tell the new person when they were stepping out of bounds culturally was really important. And then it also gave them street cred for lack of a better word. Um, it gave their programs legitimacy if they had that insider and um, helped people to show up to their educational programs. And that could take a long time right relationship building is going to be really important in this process um and so it's not going to be you know an easy lift sometimes it could take a while to build these relationships but um is is really important in the overall success of the educated uh, education programs
2: yeah and, and another com- component that um, i really kind of appreciate um is um knowing what the community's goals are. And you've talked a little bit about that, but that's a nugget that I think um, maybe new teachers uh, and and extension people, sometimes we get so caught up in the content, knowing that we have to teach the content to students or to the community that we really forget about that that community voice or the community goals and what's important and what they value. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and how, uh, some recommendations, suggestions for how we might help teachers think about that and 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 tease that out of the community?
1: Yeah, you know, and it's in some ways against how we are educated, right, where we go to college, we get a degree, we get a teaching certificate, um, perhaps we get a master's degree, you know, we're we're credentialed experts. Um, And then we're taught that that makes us able to go out and deliver content, deliver educational programming. And that is very important, of course. Um, But one thing we're not very well trained at is this relationship building piece is the asking questions, showing up to in a community and listening closely to what their barriers, issues and goals are. And so in some ways, we're taught to show up as the expert you know, to walk into a community and say, I'm here to deliver this program because I'm the expert in it and aren't you lucky that I'm here? Well, that doesn't always work in these marginalized communities where, for example, they have their own histories, maybe they have some distrust for an outsider or representative of a university or of a, a governmental school system. Um, they have their own culture ac- applied to agriculture or otherwise, right? They have their own agricultural practices. Um, they have their own food systems and they have their own expectations for what they want out of an educational experience. And so um, you're, if you're in this position, you're there because you're an expert in content, that's very important, but in some ways they're the experts in their community. And so to expect that you can show up and just deliver content without that context, um, you will. My guess is that people will be less likely to be successful. Um, And so some of my most successful educators in this study positioned themselves as resources and allies as opposed to leaders and experts. Um, and so if you can walk in thinking of, with, thinking of yourself as an ally and a resource um, to, to serve the community that you're walking into, that's much better position than um, walking in as an expert or a leader.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, so Katie, kind of go a little further, I'd, I'd love that talk a little bit more about that. Um, especially in the formal settings that we have, sometimes so, you know, your work with extension is one thing, and, and it's, it's difficult. But also, I think there's some, maybe some added challenges in the formal setting of a school setting to do that, where you may have multiple communities represented in your classroom. And so, can you kind of help help our ad teachers as they're thinking about how to be successful on that to serve the, to serve their students and, and reach our goal that we want to get at without being overwhelmed ourselves?
1: Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, the the pedagogy piece comes in. So um, there's lots of great, you know, there's textbooks and textbooks filled with um, what is just barely highlighted in this study um, of, you know, culturally revitalizing, culturally relevant pedagogies. And so there's Um, and that, like I say, will look different in different communities. So for example, my educators here were concerned with indigenous pedagogies and decolonizing pedagogies because of this context that this study was in. Um, And depending on a teacher's community, there's um, many kinds of culturally relevant, um, culturally revitalizing pedagogies that one can lean on and, and um, again, this is, it's a little vague because I think that contextualization piece is important for the community that you're serving. Um, and, and you do bring up, there's multiple communities in, in any given classroom. Um, but I think some of these pedagogies, particularly like um, the culturally relevant pedagogy can teach that those differences are, are opportunities and resources um, for educational experiences um, and uh, there's, like I say, textbooks and textbooks filled with um, how to make that applicable in classrooms. But um, my educators here were certainly thinking along those lines and um, how they can use their community knowledge in all of its diversity um, to enhance uh, the curriculum and the pedagogy that they're delivering.
2: One of the things that my, my mind keeps going back towards as we think about this formal education and and actually extension is probably pretty similar um, because um, in career and tech ed we're always talking about encouraging advisory committees and you would have a similar committee even in extension. So, what what role or how would you how would you utilize an, an advisory committee to help? think through some of these things that we're talking about here?
1: Yeah, so my educators used a a number of different strategies to figure out what those goals of the community are, right? Advisory groups were certainly one. Um, They also held formal and informal gatherings where they could do focus groups and interviews. Um, They had members of the community sit on those boards and um, attend those events so that Um, the outsider's experts perspective could be included in the final um, results, but then certainly they would have a voice from the community as well. Um, One of my educators I I quoted in the paper said that they couldn't imagine a successful program without the voices of the community as being part of the the development of any educational program. Um, And so it's, there are lots of different ways to do it, both formal and informal. And so yeah, if you're thinking of an advisory board, um, a lot of K through 12 uh, programs have that a lot of extension educators utilize advisory boards, and then also you know to show up at the community basketball game and talk to parents about um, what they think is important for their children, or show up at again in, in this case tribal council meetings um, and listen to what tribal council thinks is important. And so um, I think particularly as we build those rel- those long term relationships that are really important in this community development work certainly formal ways of uh, gauging community interests like advisory boards are important, but also just being involved, showing up, showing your face um, and building relationships is important.
0: You know, while we're talking here, Katie, I I just, I can't help but think back a thousand years ago when I was a pre-service teacher and they were telling me what I needed to do as an ag teacher in my local community was show up, build relationships, guide it for the community and I don't want to downplay by saying it's nothing. It's just the same thing, but it's about being intentional to make sure we're reaching out beyond our own community to learn and 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 listen from the other from the communities where our students are coming from, and making sure that that's guided. So I think I think one thing, and correct me here, but ag teachers hear this is kind of in our DNA, and we need to to just utilize that same skill set that we had, but be intentional in listening to those marginalized communities that that we we may not be a part of but we're going to be have an opportunity to learn from and really listen and 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 build build onto that so it's kind of exciting i think
1: yeah well and you know that's why i got interested in this work right i'm interested in access and equity and education in general and agriculture education specifically as you say is perfectly primed to do this, whether that's extension or it's school-based ag ed, you know, it's always been part of the philosophy to be a part of the community and to serve their needs and goals. Um, And so this is really just kind of reprioritizing those values in a specific context of a marginalized community because their culture and goals and backgrounds might be different um, than the educators or the formal education system that they're participating in. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's really just taking our core values and making sure that we make them as inclusive and accessible to all communities as possible. Um, and what I've learned is through this, you know, you can talk about building, for example, I'll talk about building relationships and communities all day, but what does that really look like? It's more than just um, offering a program and hoping people will come or, um, you know, we, we tend to think of relationships as um, a give and take, but, um, what I've learned from talking with folks that work in these marginalized communities is that um, their relationships are much more long-term, much more intentional, as you said, take a very long time to develop, and are not um, they're not based on selfish goals. They're, um, they're based on a community of goals coming together over time. Um, And so it's a different kind of relationship that that is necessary in in these communities that might have a little bit more distrust um, in in informal education. Um, And just being aware that that these things take time, they take intention, and that um, they might look a little different than we're used to.
2: I have a question that's deep in the back of my mind, and I think it's going to show, I'm not even sure it's a good question. And uh, it's going to show my that I'm really a novice when it comes to to some of this work, but, you know, we've used the term outsider quite a bit. So on the opposite end of that is an insider. So do we ever get to the insider side of this work, or is there always going to be those communities that we have to continue to grow and continue to learn? And, you know, do we ever reach there wherever there is?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great question, because um, what that takes in, into account is the intersectionality of identity. I mean, um, there's indigenous educators who talk about being, quote, outsiders, because perhaps they're from a different tribe than they're serving, or just the fact that they went and got a college degree makes them now different than when they left home, right? So. So um, each individual person is a kaleidoscope of different identities um, within the community and without. And so um, being an outsider is relative. And um, even a quote insider, what we might perceive as an insider, there's so much nuance and, um, you know, identities are dynamic over time. And so um, what we can, can hope to do um, is is learn and grow and listen, um, and uh, and that said too, I don't. I'm not totally sure that being an, a total insider is always necessary to be successful. I mean, people are very forgiving and interested in each other. Um, so I sometimes I get a response to this. Well, I'm scared. Right, this feels really daunting. I'm clearly an outsider to this community. How could I ever hope to be successful? And the truth is, if you're just kind of humble, come in with an air of, I'm I'm here to listen, I'm here to help you, let's build something together that serves both of our needs. Um, That's what's important in building these relationships. So insider, outsider, it's not unimportant, but um, it's complex. And also, all identities can be welcome in an air of um, listening and growing together. Um, If um educators are willing to do that.
2: Lots to chew on.
0: I know but I, I think I think the other thing that we we've we spent a lot of time talking about the pressure that ag teachers put on ourselves sometimes and I think it's important here when you're talking about listening some too often ag teachers again you think they're we're supposed to be the expert which means I'm supposed to walk into the room and have the answer and that probably means I start talking way before I should start talking. And, and here we're saying, let's just listen about this, and this is actually the right thing to do. And it takes the pressure off of you, and you and you don't have to have all the answers. And and hopefully, I no, think-
1: absolutely not. Yeah, no, I think that that not having the answers is a great way to enter the conversation, um, because that opens you up to learn about the communities you're serving, learn about their agricultural practices. I'll tell you, you know, doing this work, I've learned so many um, incredible things about. Know, indigenous agricultural practices just from my educators that I spoke to that I never would have, have known about and what a rich um, knowledge base an ag educator can draw from if they're willing to, to walk in with um, being able to listen and, and not being the expert. So yeah, I mean, um, like I say, I understand this. This work feels daunting. Um, going into diverse communities and forming new new projects and collaborations can feel scary. Um, but but you're right. It's um, if you walk in thinking, "I'm here to. I want to serve. Tell me what's important for me to know, and let's figure it out together." Um, is is the perfect way. to To start uh, forming these these projects and collaborations with communities. So yeah, don't don't feel the pressure. You're going to get things wrong. That's okay. Be open to hearing that you've gotten something wrong and learn from it. Um, And and there's always you know room for improvement and everything. If you can and be humble and listen.
0: Awesome, Mm -hmm. Katie. Thank you so much for being here with us today on Outpellets. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, there's yeah great work going on and I know that uh, that I hope everybody's able to, to focus here that let's be intentional let's listen use use that core idea that you, you shared with us so thank you so much for being with us today
1: thanks for having me
0: we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Al Pellets check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.